I think business and science are not that different. I apply the same scientific thinking process. It takes me longer to actually implement or build, but end of the day, I build accurately and methodically because I think like a scientist. I really think I put on my lab coat and go and experiment like a mad scientist and follow the clues and try to solve business problems. Hey, JB is in the house for another awesome episode of The Wolf's Den. They're getting better and better every week. Now, this is a special episode because one of my mentors, by the way, yeah, I have mentors too, someone that I look up to in the field of marketing. I I think in terms of just pure knowledge and um, intellect when it comes to Facebook marketing and general understanding of the online market in general, there is no one that is smarter than this guy. And there's a reason for that. You know why? He's a fucking rocket scientist. No, but he really is a rocket scientist because before he decided to become rich online, he worked for NASA. Some of you guys probably already know who's in. Not a lot of NASA scientists, okay, that are dominating the online space, but this guy is a friend, he's inspirational, and he's brilliant, and he's a great teacher. Dr. Alex Mayer. What's up, Thank buddy? Thank you for having me, Jordan. Al- Wait, guys, you're in for a treat. Alex... Is one of these like wind-up dolls. You ask him a question, and he just spews out wisdom, knowledge, and some really complex stuff. But I think your gift, by the way, seriously, is that you have an ability to make complicated things very understandable. Thank you. And, yeah. and I've seen you do that. And, and why do you think, if you said, you know, before we get into specifics here, what right. is it that you think that allows you? Because you really do. You have this ability. Right. Um, I've had you at my masterminds, right? Yeah. And everyone's always like, damn, guys, like, you know, you, you say all this complicated <laughs> shit, but everyone understands it. Right. I explain it to myself. That's why. So every complicated concept before I try to explain it to others, I kind of talk to myself. It's kind of funny, but I have to explain it to myself first. And then once you do that, you fully grasp it and then you can explain it to others. That's kind of my trick. How long do you do you talk to yourself about it for? Is it like a, a minute process? You go through the whole, like, is it, a, is it a constant thing like in your mind? It is, it is constant. So when, I, when I'm grappling with a new problem, I'm literally talking about it, not loud, like a crazy person, but in my head, I'm thinking about it. I'm showering and I'm, th- I'm trying to explain it to myself. You know? right, let me give you some, for those, a lot of you guys know Alex, he's famous, but, but for those of you who don't, just a couple of quick highlights, yeah. Um, yeah, NASA scientists will get into that trip a bit later, but uh, he was one of the founders, of, the founder of, of Zeus yes, Dating, yeah. right, which he sold for about $300 million. 300, okay, yeah. so the guy's a beast, all right? Um, and on top of that, you're also partners with a good, another friend of mine, Ty Lopez, yeah. right? Good yeah. friend, your partner. Um, and, um, you know, you, you just seem to have a knack um, for someone who's a, a science, like, you know, let's go back and start. Like, w- tell me about the science side of your life and right. how that sort of came to be and then how that sort of brought you into the online world. So honestly, I think business and science are not that different, except in business, the output is money-making machines. In science, it is academic papers. So it's mm. really not that different. So I think I applied the same scientific thinking process. Makes me a little bit... Um, Slower than a lot of other entrepreneurs, it takes me longer to actually implement or build. But end of the day, I build accurately and methodically because I think like a scientist. I really think I put on my lab coat and go and experiment like a math scientist and 
follow the clues and try to solve business problems. So in other words, it's a very logic-based approach you have. Yeah. You don't allow emotion to dictate. To the extent I can. So, right. I mean, we are all emotional, so I make mistakes too, but I try to kind of suppress it as much as I can. Well, I know, like, for instance, when I was first getting started with Facebook, you know, right. I didn't know any, I, I just never done it before, and you... Right came in and you were like, as a friend to friend, you and you got me up and running instantly, getting me great results. Right. And one of the things you said to me is like, you was like, don't get emotional. You could drive yeah. yourself crazy. crazy. And, the, and the analogy that you had is that, listen, it's like, it's going to break. It's like, imagine a car <laughs> and the car's running and it's all, it's kind of wobbling and shaking, but it keeps running. Just let the thing run. The hubcaps full. Let it run. The hubcap, yeah. well, another hubcap, still let it run. And fine. <laughs> when the car breaks down, then you look at it. Okay. I mean, fix it, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's interesting because one way to I'm, I'm my background is systems engineering, so I think of business as also a like a system, and different systems have different behaviors. So Facebook marketing or marketing in general is a weird. So you have experienced it. It's just if it's working, don't touch it. <laughs> That's my rule number one. And wait, but it will break. And once it breaks, then you start playing with it until it works again. And then again, don't touch it. So it's a, I just had to learn how that system behaves and kind of like find my way around it. So we're sort of starting, we're starting at the end here and going backwards. We're like saying, once he shows you how to make it work, don't touch it. We have to get to how you make it work. <laughs> right. but, but I think the philosophy, I think what, what the mistake is, is that people try to strive for perfection on it and there is no perfection with Facebook ad, right? Exactly. It's simply a matter of almost good enough is good enough. No en perfection in business in general. Have right. you ever seen a perfect no. business? It's no. always messy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a complex system. Like any, com any mechanical system that has more than 10,000 components, it's always messy. <laughs> it's never perfect. Something is broken. It may not break the system, but it's still working, but something is broken somewhere, always. In your car, something is malfunctioning <laughs> somewhere. You just don't know yet. All right, just hold on one second with that thought. We'll come back in a few minutes after the wolf does his thing and pays the bills with the sponsor, right? Settle down. All right, ready for this one? You know, it's one of my favorites. You know, love this company. They are every week with me, right? Larry Ellison, multi-billionaire. This company, he founded Oracle, one of the biggest in the world, one of the best creators of software for businesses, Second to none, all right? Here's the deal. If you own a small business or a medium-sized business, right, the problem is you have to be on top of your numbers or else they're on top of you, crushing you, right? I've made this mistake. I'll tell you what, a couple of things. Number one, you have all these different systems that are supposed to talk to each other, and they do with all these APIs, whatever that you call this thing, right? But they're not built for one cohesive unit. In other words, like when you buy an Apple product, right? The reason it's so awesome if you buy Apple is because they make everything. In other words, they make the casing, they make the software, they make the hardware, right? This product, Oracle NetSuite, is a one-stop solution for all your business account needs. Receivables, shipping, billing, okay, keeping track of your sales numbers. It's, it's unbelievable. So what they've done basically for one low price, Oracle allows you to basically keep on top of your business and everything is elegant and seamless, talks to each other perfectly. And if you've been in the position, by the way, where you've tried to integrate lots of different systems, you know what a nightmare it is. 
All right. And here's the deal. Again, this is Larry Ellison's company. This is a I think like $50 billion company. I mean, they, they, they make probably $50 billion. It's ridiculous, right? So it's a great product. You know you're getting nothing but the best. And right now, because you're on this program, you get a great deal here. You get ready for this. You're going to get a seven, a free guide. You have seven key strategies to grow your profits. And that's from Oracle. This is no joke here, right? Seven key strategies to grow your profits. NetSuite.com slash Wolf. Again, you download this free guide. All right. And I promise you one thing. When you see the beauty, the elegance of having one solution that's been designed specifically to all talk to each other, all the accounting functions, it's like mana from heaven. All right, and all you CFOs know what I'm talking about. So if you're there, go nudge your boss, right? If you're a CEO, owner of a company, entrepreneur, you got to give this a whirl. Believe me, the amount of headaches you save, you'll be like thanking me a million times over. Sound good? Again, that's netsuite.com slash wolf. Get your free guide as well. Seven key strategies from a guy worth, I think, $57 billion. I take his advice. All right, guys, one of my favorites of all time, ready to have a couple of laughs here and get something that you probably need, though you don't want to admit it. Come on, ready for this? Blue Chew, oldie but goodie here, right? So what's Blue Chew? Well, you know, the older, I would say less effective, or they don't work as quickly, like, you know, ones that like, you know, they make you like hard as a rock. I've used great examples in the past, right? You know, the chewable erection pills. This is the real deal, okay? And I want to just tell you one thing. I've compared this to, I think I said this, it's like the handle from Thor's Stormbreaker. It makes you as hard as that. It makes your dick as hard as like the battering ram that knocks down a crack house door. I then compared it also, it will make your dick so hard that it'll be like the battering ram they used in the movie Braveheart to knock down the castle of York. They sacked York, all right? I got a new one. I figured this out. Ready? You know that this metal they use, vibranium. It's like, it'll make your dick as hot as vibranium. That's what this does. It's like the vibranium solution. That stuff, like what is vibranium? It's like the mythical metal from the Avengers, but like it does anything the screenwriters need to do to like defy the law of physics. It does anything, right? So you take this blue chew, all right? And again, you chew it, it hits you instantly, right? It can work either just for a few hours. You want to have a one night, boom, wham, bam, Thank you, ma'am, right? Show someone, teach someone a lesson if you want to, right? Or you get the low weekend formulation, which lasts for two or three days. Listen, I've tried this stuff. Not that I need it. Not that I need it, but I am, you know, 50, how old am I? Oh, God, I'm 57 years old, right? I admit it's not as easy as it used to be, okay? And anyone who's, who's saying that is my age, you're lying to yourself, come on. It's not like I'm 18 years old and the wind blows and I'm hard anymore, okay? You know, extra encouragement. I love my wife to death. She wants to run away when she knows I'm taking this stuff. But the point being is that when I take it, I'm not just one round. I'm two rounds. I'm three rounds. I am going hard, guys. And I'm, and the operative word there is hard, okay? I'm, I'm an, I feel like I'm a, I'm a youth again. I have my use back, all right? So why is Blue Chew better than all the other older versions? Number one, it hits you quicker. Okay, the old ones you have to take on like an empty stomach. I mean, was, I mean, oh, hold on, honey, I can't have sex. I have to clean my four hours. Well, you're gonna vomit like I used to do with Quaaludes, but that's not a good solution anyway. So this stuff, you take whatever you want. And I made the fatal mistake once of trying to order, you know, the old Blue Meanies online. First of all, the stuff came from China, didn't work. How embarrassing. Let me take one. You still can't get hard. Not a good sign, okay? But also, they never stopped calling me. Once they got my number, it was a foreign Indian company that kept calling. It's a disaster. 
Here's the deal. With Blue Chew, you're dealing with a U.S.-based pharmacy. You're, calling, you're speaking to a doctor, a U.S.-licensed physician. Make sure that you're medically cleared for this stuff, okay? So what you have here is the perfect solution. No embarrassment. You have to walk into it. Hi, I'd like some erection pills, please, at the drugstore, right? You get delivered online. It comes in a nondescript package. Well, I'd kind of be proud to have it show up my door in a nice blue package, but hey, that's just my idea, right? But the point is no one knows. You get these amazing pills from a U.S.-based pharmacy, U.S. physician, all right? And you're like the stud of all studs. I'm serious. I mean, there is a fundamental difference in the level, in the girth, in the in the, in the turgor pressure of an erection on Blue Chew. It's like nothing else. I'm asking you to do just this. Give it one shot. Just try one Blue Chew. Are you ready for this? Because you're on this show, you know what it's going to cost you? Zero. Free. That's the deal. That's how confident this company is. So you go out, you get your Blue Chew. Let me tell you exactly how to do this. You go to bluechew.com, all right? You use the promo code WOLF. All you pay, $5 for shipping and handling. You get your Blue Chew. You take one pill. If you want to go raid a crack house, you can do it. You can use your dick to raid a crack house. Knock down the castle of York. Make Stormbreak a hammer from the Avengers. You're set. Or you can really be a stud. And once you use this stuff once, I'm telling you, trust me, yeah, you're not going to want to go back. And that's a promise from the mouth of the wolf, okay? Go to bluechew.com, enter the promo code WOLF. Your first order is free. Give it a shot. Believe me, you will not be sorry. Sage words from a sage man. So look, all right, so let's do this, right? I want to I end, I end up with you explaining like, because you're great at creating steps. Right. All right. So I want to end up at a place of like sort of like a five or six step system for people that want to just really that, you know, increase their online sales on right. Facebook's less interesting. But let's start off now. Right. I want to go back to your childhood. First, right. so you're not from this country, right? No, I'm not. So to tell, tell us your story real quick. Yeah, I grew up in a little town north of Iran. And um, it was a small town. This is before internet. Um, I didn't have satellite TV, just two state run television station so very limited death to america yeah exactly exactly very limited world um but i was lucky my dad uh wanted me to read a lot in this little town there were two little bookstores maybe each one of them the size of this office and uh my dad was friends with the owners and he asked me to work as a cashier in these bookstores in exchange for you know reading the books and i tell you like a lot of times i couldn't open the books all the way open because I didn't want to crack the back so that they can't sell it. So I would just, I'm used really? to reading books like that. Yeah. And those were in books written in Farsi and stuff. You were, yeah. When yes. did you learn English? Um, in high school. And then when I moved to the US, I could read and write, but I couldn't re really speak. So I watched a lot of TV, friends specifically. <laughs> so, <laughs> Rachel, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I have an employee named Rachel. I'm like, Rachel! Yeah. <laughs> so so you, how old were you when you moved here? 20. Yeah. And what year was that? 2000. 2000. Okay, yeah. so, you, so you were living in Iran way after the Shah was deposed, exactly. the whole Ayatollah, yeah. right? Yes. And was it, like for you, you, so you're obviously a brilliant guy academically, so I assume they have a very good education system. I think I've heard yeah. that before. Yes, yeah. We have a really good education system, public, right. uh, great university. I went to the best technical university of Iran. I got good education growing up. 
And was that something that you, was like education, you excelled at from a young age, you always did yes. well in school? Yeah, I won all science competitions. I was number one in the country in physics Olympiads. I got world silver medal in got physics, it. so. And was it, was it a, was that something that was inherited to your family or you the first one? Um, you, my dad was, is also a physics teacher and he's really good in math and physics. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of got that from my dad. I read his college books on physics as well. So growing up, I kind of had this path that I'm going to grow up and become a scientist and work for NASA. Even Ooh. when I was five years old, if you asked me, I would have told you that. Really? I would have said, I'm going to grow up, become a scientist, immigrate to the U.S. and work for NASA. Wow. And I literally did it. <laughs> That's talk about manifesting a vision, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and, and um, was... You have any brothers and sisters? I have a sister, yes. And is she here in, in, in... Yeah, she's a scientist. She lives in San Diego. Also scientist. <laughs> yeah. So was it like, you know, my family, my, I'm very good with numbers and... Right. and, and because my parents were both CPAs. Mm -hmm. So I remember growing up at a young age, over the dinner table, breakfast table, they're always talking about, you know, LIFO and FIFO and all these sort of things right. that are counting, you know, yes. stuff that, that I guess I just took for granted. Did you have that in science in your house? Yes, especially from my dad. My dad was, it was really good in math and physics. My mom is good in the statistics. So me and my sister had no choice, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's like the nerdiest family ever. To like it is a very, uh, yeah, it it's was like, a very right? nerdy. Like pocket protectors and stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so you come to the U.S. You're how twenty? You said? Yeah, uh, almost twenty-one. Almost twenty. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you had you graduated from college? Yes, yet? I got my bachelor's degree in okay. Iran. In Iran. Yeah. And did that carry over here? How had that work in terms of accreditation? Yeah, so it, it's it's a recognized university. It's a very good school. In fact, uh, a lot of its graduates end up going to grad school in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then did you go to grad school or you went straight to NASA from there? I went to grad school. I got my master's and PhD. From uh, where? Um, University of Maryland. Of course, it's a stupid question. You're Dr. Alex Mayer, <laughs> yeah. right? Does so, not, not, okay. Admittedly, not my finest moment on the podcast, okay? <laughs> but guys, I was just trying to follow a logical thought. You should fucking delete that out, but we won't, okay? Anyway. <laughs> so um, it was, I mean, it was fun. I spent three years to get my master's on PhD, which was the fastest in our school. Um, I got a, uh, a fellowship from National Science Foundation that kind of helped me accelerate everything. I knew exactly what it was going to research, and I. What was it? it? I complex system. So I use evolutionary. <laughs> there we go. And there you have it. <laughs> I used uh, evolution to design complex systems. So e a human evolution. It's basically like the natural same selection or survival. The concept of, of natural se selection applied. So imagine, like you know, I actually did it for, uh, you know, uh, powerless. Uh, drills and you know tools so basically it's a, it's a complex system you design it as a dna imagine like this you code the design of it sure. like that cooler or whatever as a as a dna mm -hmm. and you evolve it the same thing the same evolutionary process applied to an engineering system explain that more deeply it's very you know, you know i have a degree in biochemistry yeah it's so, so you i love would this know exactly. i love this i'm a nerd so, you know so imagine like you know i did it for like pickup trucks for example a pickup truck has different variables different ways you can design a pickup truck right so thickness of whatever like the length of the axle right? like all these parameters you code it into a dna it's basically a string that this codifies the design of the pickup okay truck. And then what you do is that you randomly generate a bunch of those in a population. Then you have them actually cross over as if like they're mating. 
So in other words, to be within that population, you're going to have variations naturally. Exactly. As, right. Okay. So the first population is actually generated randomly. Right. right? So there's variations. Yeah. So then you have pickup truck A mates with pickup truck truck B. <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> yeah. And they have offsprings. So, <laughs> you're a so sick there's crossover. Oh my god, it's, it's insane! And you introduce mut mutation, and it literally works. I'm, I'm not sure whether to be impressed or frightened about you. <laughs> so the okay, so the so the pickup trucks are mating, right? <laughs> yeah. And through this process, basically, it's obviously all by computer generated yes, model. Yeah, it's simulated. You're able to basically see which ones are the most successful. Yeah, the fittest one. And then those ones reproduce again and again, and through the process of natural selection, yes. you end up with the purest, best trucks. Exactly. That are so, also fucking crazy. Like uh, <laughs> when you do that, when you inbreed like that, they end up with maniacs, people with, with sickle cell anemia, leukemia, right? Not, no, it's actually what it is. Um, um, hemophilia is hemophilia, the big one, right? Yeah, Color blindness, exactly. right? Yeah. Hemophilia is one of them. So basically, you uh, get the offspring. It's a pickup truck, for example. And then you give it a code called fitness function. You're like, oh, how good is this pickup truck on different dimensions? Sure. And then you take the ones that are good, the ones that are not good, you kill. And then have the ones that are good continue mating. That's <laughs> it, interesting. So in other words, so there's basically, a, you based on, on how it came out with the cross between the two, you see you have a scale that you measure it against. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like almost like the raisin, the good raisin, the bad raisin. Right. The bad raisins get rejected. Exactly. The good raisins make and more then, babies. Yeah, exactly right. And did it work? It works. I have tried it on aerospace systems. I've tried it on, uh, like I said, pickup truck, like the front end of a pickup truck. It was not the whole pickup truck. I've tried it on power tools. I've, like I've, it works. Wow, it works. Okay, so don't try that at home, okay? Because <laughs> you will fail. All right. But that being said, so okay, so that was in your. That was how you got your PhD. That was your exactly. your thesis, basically. Right. And then NASA said, "Oh Jesus, this guy's nuts. We got to hire him." Basically, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. So how, what year did you go to work for NASA? Uh, two thousand five. So I after I graduated from my PhD, I did a year of postdoc and postdoctorate, and then um, around that time. Uh, the Columbia accident happened, the uh, space shuttle mm -hmm. that blew up upon re It's so funny that you said because I was thinking when you were talking about this, I was, for some reason, I, my mind wandered to that, like in terms <laughs> of what you were saying about imperfect systems. And that, it's, it's really it's always imperfect. Yeah. It's, it's actually, systems amazes me, like, the, like complex systems, yeah. because we can never, we can only understand components. Systems are a whole different way. Like you can, you can never build, understand a system by looking at each component and just add up to understand the system. Does that make sense? Systems have to be looked at mostly from outside versus there's from inside. There's, I told, there's almost an element of chaos theory to it. Exactly, hundred percent. Yes, right? It's exactly. Like exactly. It's too complex that the old butterfly. Like I think what they found in one like thing with the O-ring expand. Like exactly. these crazy unintended consequences. That was Challenger. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's right. So Columbia was uh, the tiles upon re-entry. Uh, so I was hired at that time to develop risk models for space systems. So that's what that's the first thing I did for the first year. It was very interesting. I built risk models for space system, for space shuttle, for different uh, space projects. Understanding what is the probability that, for example, uh, you lose the crew of a vehicle. It's like, you know, what is the probability of loss of mission, so to speak? And 
Are you like the guy that like in the movie, the classic guy who like runs in, like this is the smartest guy in the play. He's gonna solve the problem, <laughs> and, you, and you run in, everyone ignores you, and you're like running in. But but I worked it out. I have the, it. The fucking the, the, the paper, right? It's always in, every movie. There's that guy. Like I just saw the movie The Martian, and the guy like this one guy. He's like in astrophysics and like propulsion. He goes, I have the solution. That was that basically you. Yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, that's what I, I hope that is me. I tried to, to be that guy, but I it just to me problem solving is interesting. And people like problem solvers in environments like that. So how long were you there for in NASA? Two and a half years. And then did you go from there into the private, like in the, that's that the public so, sector, or private, semi-private, right? I mean, I, I was, so technically I was not a government employee. Right. I was a contractor, yeah. but I, nobody wants to be a civil servant. Right. I mean, no. So, so what did you have to NASA? Uh, so while I was at NASA, I also started MBA at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So I was doing my MBA at Berkeley. Okay. Um, I also taught at the at uh, at UC Berkeley mechanical engineering department, so I was like an adjunct professor okay. for one semester, and then I started my first company. In the meantime, while I was doing all of these, and what was the first company? That was the company that became Zeusk. Ah, so, so tell me about that. So, so this is kind of the beginning of the app movement. So when apps were becoming a thing, and I saw kind of. The movement. I was like, okay, there's a trend I call appification, meaning web services are going to be provided through apps. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, this is going to be big. And this is so early in the app movement that when I told people I built apps, people thought I meant appetizers. So I was like, no, 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 not that kind of apps, applications. So I had to actually literally explain it to people. So uh, we built a bunch of apps, including polling apps. And then it was making some money every day. Uh, maybe like $100 a day, $200 a day, um, which was enough for me to actually kind of see, okay, I can actually make money yeah. in a business, but it was not a lot. So I went based on that. I raised money. I quit my job at NASA. I dropped out of Berkeley last semester and uh, I dropped everything else, fully focused on it, And but it wasn't good enough. So I was like one day, so we started as a polling company. Then I went to my team. We were like four. There were like polling, four. Polling, like polling? Pol- yeah. So we built this polling widget or an app. You could upload photos and videos of different things and poll like, you know, like should I wear... Smash? Yeah, oh, should, exactly. Or should I be, wear this this T-shirt or that T-shirt? So it's like... Face Smash was the uh, was the thing they had in the movie um, uh, Social uh, Social Network, network yeah, where they yeah. they basically the algorithm which is hotter hotter not yeah like exactly that. but it was so it was interesting so that got some traction but then I went to my team I'm like this is not enough this is what we're gonna do which is why I say you know science and business are kind of similar mm-hmm. I said well we have something but it's not exactly right. So we are up to something. We are in the vicinity of hitting gold, but we are not hitting it. So what we are going to do is that every week from now on, um, every uh, Monday, we're going to come up with a new idea, implement it until Friday, get it test ready. On Friday, we test it. On Saturday, we launch it. On the next Sunday, we come up with another idea. And we keep doing it every week until we have a we hit the gold mine. All right, so let's stop right here right. and slow things down. This is a first, to me, a great, not the first, but this is an amazing takeaway. So basically what you're talking about is a structured form of pivoting, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Constantly reinventing yourself. No matter what's going on, right? I assume at a certain point you probably say, well, let's... The yes. results were so great and you went in that direction, and I right? I did that, yes. But, but what you were doing is you were taking mediocre results, mm-hmm. right? And you were 
forcibly almost reinventing it once a week, yeah. pivoting to a new approach. And how extreme were the pivots? Like when we, when, what were they? Like so give me an example of something me, that you would. Yeah. Let me actually add two things to this. So it does. I did two things by doing that, and I still do this to this day. Uh, one, when people say the results are mediocre or good or bad. I always ask compared to what? Like when I said my polling app wasn't doing well, what was it comparing it against, right? Mm. So when you have multiple data points, because every week you have a, you're trying a new idea, then you can rank order them mm -hmm. compared to like, okay, so this is like top one so far. Sure. This is the bottom. So definitely you don't pursue. So that's the first thing. The second thing about it is that one of the things I see entrepreneurs do is because they don't put boundaries around the time they spent on a particular project, one idea takes forever. So I made it time limited. So it's one week, one idea. Fail, mm -hmm. fail quickly, fail exactly. elegantly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or at least and get intelligence quick enough that, you know, what happens, I think, is if, if you take that same approach but allow it to run for months, it almost loses meaning because you're going so slow. Exactly. And your one advantage, I think, as a small company is being nimble, right? Exactly right. Yeah. It's like there were four of us. Uh, maybe towards the end, there were five. Um, and all we were doing, like, I'm like, new idea on Sunday, Monday morning, we are starting. Uh, and Friday by Friday's test ready. Doesn't matter what, because Saturday is going to be shipped. Give me an example of, a, what, of what an, a typical pivot. Would it be like one dip or tuck? How, how far off from what you were doing? Was I've, I've tried both. So I had uh, gaming apps, like very early on gaming apps, like, very crude graphics. Okay. Uh, like these, these were like, and then once I got some traction, I we started with um, uh, NFL football. We couldn't call it NFL, but football. Then we went to soccer. Then we went to, I tried like different. So that was one way of pivoting, just right. like one degree. Sure. Yeah. And then, and then there were like massive departures. Like we went from games to quizzes. And I went from quizzes to dating. <laughs> and I, we, we went to, I went to astrology. Like I just have tried all of them. So tell me. So okay. So let's let's get to the good stuff in terms right. of like your what you stumbled upon here. So right. how early were you in this? How let's say how prevalent was the whole dating thing online when you started Zeus? It was very prevalent, but there was not much online dating apps. In fact, none of the big players released an app until three years later. So that gave me an gave me a gap. On some level, would you say that like the app is almost like the it's like the natural selection of it's like the best it, of it's, it's like almost like the same thing. It is exactly right, right? Because like yeah. it's like the distillation of the best down to a more streamlined, the yeah. best of the best sort of thing. As a matter of fact, another way I I I've been looking at app store rankings since actually app store ranking came on, like on iPhone. The apps that have made it to the top, they're the alphas. Right. <laughs> so it's a natural selection. I mean, it's pure natural selection. So what you did is you took a business that was thriving online but in on computers right. and you appified it essentially. Exactly right. And how quickly did it – was it like a bam? It just like took off or was there When a it took off, yeah. It was explosive. So uh, when we launched, I want to say we launched mid-December 2007. And the basically what became Zeus, the first version of our online dating app, and um, within like like a week, we had hundreds of thousands of users. And there, I remember around Christmas, one day we got one hundred thousand new signups in one day. How? How did that happen? What, what I was tell the... you this because I discovered 
an unmet need. So there was this. So 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 think about it this way. This is back in the days. This is actually before iPhone App Store. This is on Facebook App Store. Uh, Facebook had an App Store before iPhone. Um, really? Yeah, exactly. Most people don't remember, Jeez. but it's like for about there was a, there was about one year where Facebook had an App Store and before iPhone had an App Store, and then when iPhone came, I was already ready. And I had everything. So I went on iPhone and dominated. And then when Android App Store came, I went on Android and dominated. Ah, so I was, we were like, I had guns blazing. Wow. <laughs> like, so you so, so basically, it was, it was predicting the, the really the revolution of apps. Really exactly you right. The, you beat the market. Exactly. I was like, okay, so basically we bet on a trend. We said, you know, so online services are going to be appified. That was a bet. Right. So, and I actually remember that I was talking at a conference and I said that, and I said, in a few years, you would be doing your banking through apps and people laughed. So like, they thought I was joking. I was like, no, I'm serious. It will happen. And it was so ahead of its time that people could not wrap their headers, head around like .com is going to turn yeah. into apps. It wasn't a sudden transition. It was like a three-year or four-year transition. You know, part of it had to do with, you know, the advent of faster connections on your phone. Like before that, you couldn't <coughs> have viewed when 3G was, wasn't fast enough. It was really when 3G became, I mean, 3G had started, but then when it really hit, I noticed myself, when I really started using my phone was when it became, you know, when 3G turned to 4G, I was like, wow, it was a pretty big difference for me. So before that, like when I got, first got my iPhone, you really couldn't use the, unless you had a wireless connection. So was it part of that? Like just yes. some of the speeds increasing? Speed, uh, rendering graphics on your phone. Uh, also people, I, I, even the behavior, like you think just because even if we had iPhone 10X or whatever, right at the beginning, the best iPhone, the best connection, people would not, do not shift instantly. So the behavior that I check things online versus mm. look at them on desktop takes a few years for humans. Does that make sense? So it's not just technology. It's also humans. I, I totally get it. You know, it's so funny you say that because when I got active online about a year ago and you, you helped me out, I still was in denial over the phone part of it. Like I was always looking at my computer. How does my ad look? And you keep saying, no, no, you got to opt optimize Absolutely. it for online because I wasn't really still using, I personally wasn't using my phone. Right. Now it's like I always I was like I don't care what it looks like the computer it's always it's all online basically right right, right. what percentage of, of of all your businesses you think that you know on your online is being right done? now eighty eighty five percent it's through phone through phone I actually it is one of the biggest thing I train I try to train my marketers when they design a website or a landing page I tell them I don't almost don't care what it looks like on the desktop wow. I don't care <laughs> so just look at it on a phone. And it's very counterintuitive because they're building it on a desktop. I get it. That's that's the point. Yeah. Right? And I didn't realize that in the beginning. And sometimes I, you know, I would, you know, have it and say, "Look how beautiful it is on the on the on the desktop," and then it looked terrible. On, on yeah. And I see that all the time. It's a very common mistake. And I tell them, eighty five percent easy of your sales will come on uh, through phone. Actually, the majority of people, I don't know if you know, but a lot of people when they uh, leave work, they don't take their laptops home. So they don't even have a laptop at home. So a lot of people. Wow. So they to them it's like if it's either phone or nothing. So all right, let's get so now you you found Zeus, right? How right. many years did you actively run but you sold it at a certain point, right? Or you you had a start a stake, yeah. but you kind of gave up control, right? Yes, right. So um I stepped down in two thousand fifteen basically. 
And um, so I ran it from 2000. We started in 2000, end of 2007 to 2015. Eight Got years. It. Yeah. And then you started, how, how long have you and Ty been really actively partners? In a lot um, of things? Actively 2016. Okay. So a year after I left Seuss, basically. So I look, it's interesting. So, you know, my take on Ty is different than a lot of people. Some mm -hmm. people think that Ty is all flesh and no substance, but I don't think that's true. Ty is one of the smartest it, people it's I know. It's a very, it's a great, it's interesting. <laughs> it's a, a misconception of Ty right. because of how he went about, he built his business by strategically going right. after Flash right. and using that because he knew the people he was speaking to. He's actually a very smart guy. And I think also, I think one of the things I respect about Ty is that he knew what he knew and knew what he didn't know. Right. And I think that surrounding himself with someone like you, you guys are so opposite right? in, in, in nature and in everything. Not everybody, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're, I think just the, the persona that I think the two of you sort of like, you know, sort of make up for each other's weaknesses and build on each other's strengths. What are your exactly. thoughts on that? I I tell you, people underestimate for whatever reason. He's very underestimated. intelligence. And I have walked the planet Earth. I have a lot of intelligent friends. I have always been impressed with Ty. I mean, we've been friends for about 10 years. Ty and I used to brainstorm before even we were, we were business partners mm -hmm. on business ideas all the time. I drove from San Francisco to LA all the time just so that I could brainstorm with him. And um, He gets a bad rap because I'm telling you right yeah. now, guys, I know Ty. He's a smart guy. So yeah. whatever you've heard, you know, I'm not just saying that I would say this to anybody. He's a smart guy and, yeah. and he works hard. Right. So tell me, how does your partnership with Ty work? What, how, what makes it special? And sort of how would you say that you guys go about sort of building things? So you're in a lot of business together, right? right? I'm more systematic. I'm, a, um, I'm, a, I'm more of a builder. He's more of a creator. That's the best way to think about it. So he has ideas, a lot of ideas. Not that I don't have ideas, but Ty has a lot of ideas. He comes up with new ideas all the time. Every day, daily. Yeah, like yeah. and he's also very social, mm -hmm. which I'm not. I'm like an, an introvert. So it's like kind of almost the opposite. And the order of things is actually very clear. Like he starts it or either it's a rela new relationship. Even like you and me, like Ty met you and right. then you made the introduction. Yeah. Uh, so I... I think that is perfect because I am in my comfort zone. I know exactly what I'm doing in my world, and uh, I know how to build. I know how to scale, and um, he's kind of like a little bit more on the edge, and it works perfectly. Um, let's talk about a couple of things. Number one, I want to talk about scaling. I think that's right. your, if I looked at, at one, if I had to point to one thing, I think you're really good at it's that. Right. It's the ability to take an idea that's small. Right. And not just scale it, but but scale it in a way that actually makes money. Like I think right. a lot of people, what happens is they have something that's working at a certain level, and then when they scale, they just they, they lose sight of that. It's right. still actually a business that needs to make money. So how do you go about in your mind? Do you have a formula for scaling things? Yeah, I I have a formula. You have a formula for everything. everything. But, okay. <laughs> scaling has actually kind of like a simple formula. The way I think about it, uh, business businesses uh, have three steps and i actually I, we talked about it the first time we met it has lead generation step one uh lead capture meaning turning a visitor somebody that heard about your brand or product idea or concept for the first time into a paying customer in the sense that they put that first dollar in mm -hmm. right and then lifetime value optimization is the third step mm -hmm. right it's like three steps lead generation lead capture Lifetime value optimization. So the first thing that you want to do 
in your business before you start scaling is to determine, okay, do I have step one ready? What is step one? Is it Facebook ads? Is it Google? Is it TV? Is it, you know, whatever it is. It's like referral based. Yeah, yeah. Once you have that, then then kind of the bottleneck shifts to step two. So it's, think of it as a pipe, right? So if you want a f- huge amount of water to flow through a pipe and it has three stages, all three of them should be wide and solid. So what you do is at first figure out, okay, so can I widen step one, lead generation, have a ton of leads coming in. Step two, can I systematically and at a scale capture the leads and turn them into opening an account or become a customer. Yep. Step three, what's my system that once they are a customer, I pull them back and I pull them back and I sell them and upsell them and right. cross-sell them and sell them other products, right? Think of Amazon. It has all three of them to the nth degree. Mm. The same with Apple. Like you go into Apple's ecosystem, you're sucked there forever, right? It's just, they just- I'm just, the worst, by the yeah, way. It's like forever they get, uh, they, they monetize you. So that's like they have a step one, step two, step three. Amazon is step one, step two, step three. So and- one, I think for Amazon, one of the things I, I think they do better than anyone in the world is this equation I have for selling. When I teach right. selling, I say that when you ask for the order, you want to- Explain it's very simple to get started. Right. And you get these benefits on the way out. So they call it energy in, benefits out. They have this like one click buying. Right. That is like what they found because if it's two clicks, right. you lose 30%. Yes, that's right. That's what they do so well, you yeah. know? And and how would you like, for, for the average individual though, right? Mm-hmm. How do you like, in, in, on the online world, which I just really, I have such respect for you in, how do you essentially go about Right. Let's say you have a product. Implementing okay? the system. Yeah. How do you yeah. do that? Yeah. So step one, figure out how you're gonna get people to learn about your product. Just figuring that out. For a lot of products, the answer is ads, like Facebook ads, Google ads. Right. Step two, but if you don't have a step two, you're generating water is going through stage one but it's getting stuck on stage two. So step two is having a system where people come in and they convert, which is when your landing pages, for example, when you create a persuasive website, basically what you're doing is you're creating a system that customer comes in and they actually end up becoming, like a visitor comes in, becomes a customer. That is persuasion of the website, right? So that's a step number two. So the average person, the the answer is, Create a persuasive website, run ads to it, figure out figure out step one and two, all right? Then shift your attention to step three, meaning, okay, now I have a person in my email, I've sold them a product, can I sell other products? So in other words, it's really about first things first in some exactly. level. Like, do you not try, when you're going into a business, you're not saying, I need to... Before I get started, I have to figure out what my eighth and ninth product. You're like, let me just figure if I can just drive traffic exactly. first. Exactly, so, exactly. Right. Step one. Step so one. step one. Can I get people to actually? A lot of times, I tell people to start without a website, so you can actually run an ad. It can be a lead form, so it's just. I a totally capture. get it. Huh? Because what's the point of yeah. spending all the time on something if you can't generate can't generate tra- traffic? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's the point? It's like it's just it would be just for your mom to show it to your mom or something. It's a pragmatic I mean, approach. Yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, it's like give me first. Can I generate clicks? So the so the idea just to get it here is like I think there's something that's ego based for yes. all that we want it to look pretty. You know what you? Oh my God! Remember the funniest thing? So the funniest thing you ever said to me was I. 
we had this stupid website, this landing page that you created for me, right? It's converting like a motherfucker. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it was unbelievable, right? Just, and then I said, hey. Ugly, but it converts. Ugly. No, then I called. I said, hey, this guy wants to build me this super high-speed, beautiful. You're like, uh, he said, can I tell you my opinion? I'm, I'm not telling you because I promise you. It's not going to do as better, as good as your ugly funnel. You're ugly. I'm like, why? He said, the ugly one always wins. Sure enough, I went out. I built this thing because I, you know, the other guy had some other relationship, right? I built and that thing wasn't even close to the. Why is it that the ugly one typically wins? I think it's funny, but I think when you see glossy, you do not absorb the message. Or you feel so, you're being sold to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or it sounds cliche, platitude. Versus if it is just words on a page, it just, it's only the words you pay attention to. I mean, how many times have you seen glossy, whatever real estate or whatever uh, piece of material, uh, marketing material? It's platitude. It's kind of boring if you think about it. The equivalent would be like yours. You have some of these ads that you think they're stupid. Like you're walking with your dog. Exactly. Talk, and that's your best, can, right? Ex you see this like bad, like like simple like poster on a tree and that is just a very strong message and that sinks but the glossy billboard you never see so you know what i mean so, so I, I think the implicit guys the reason i'm focusing on this is there's a really important takeaway here is i think that so many people in the beginning they invest all this time and money and resources trying to make their stuff beautiful and sexy because they think they have to like be that way to succeed exactly but yet right. your approach with me and I did so well with it, all right, and still do. But it, it was just really simple. Just, dude, just put it out there, get a catchy headline. Just don't worry about it. And then once it started working, then it was okay. Let's add on a second product. Mm -hmm. Let's add on. And you got my in my AOV actually approached my my average order approached over 100 and went eventually to 150. Right. Actually, right. Yeah. I came up with that little tweak where I had the yeah. uh, right <laughs> go up and down. The yeah, yeah. So, one. so it's yeah. interesting. I, we did this thing where because you know I have a, an annual pay option. Then I came up with a quarterly pay and right. What I found from you, these little tweaks, these little tweaks sometimes right. can really make a huge difference. Huge. How I, often are you tweaking? I, I tell you this. In my experience, I've never not been able to improve the performance of a funnel or, or a business by 20%. Like if I put my mind into it and I experiment on something for about, even if it is super optimized, mm -hmm. if I spend another two weeks on it, I can improve it by another 20%. And what are typically, so what are like the most of the, Okay, so and I, I by the way, I would never bet against you. Okay, <laughs> thank you. But what, but what are the obvious things that you see? What are the so people that are out there? Right. What's the ones that you just always just lay the number to you? one factor is pricing. So most people, I and I tell you this, I can look at companies and products, and like I can right away say, I'm eighty percent confident you're mispricing, meaning you can double your revenue just by changing the pricing and packaging. So either sometimes it is just pure pricing. Like it is overpriced or underpriced. It could be both ways, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. And a lot of times it's either overpriced or underpriced. Give but me an example of it on the price. Uh, give me an example of something like that. I, I give, give you an example. A lot of entrepreneurs these days are uh, selling online courses and they sell very high price points. And they were very, people were very surprised when I priced things very low. They're like, how can you make more money? I'm like, look, it is not about how much money you make per customer. It's like this multiplication, how much revenue you generate, how many customers times the amount of price. So it's price elasticity. So if I buy reducing the price, I get 10 times more customers. If I halving the price, I get three times more customers. I've won, even though I make less per customer. People like can't 
comprehend that. That's simple math. So, so I, I've seen you do this actually yep. online where I, I, I called you. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I just saw you were at $99 a month. Then you were at $3 a month. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, you're like, I'm just doing my, I'm doing my, what you call it? Stress. What you, the price yeah. you had a term for? What was it called? Um, your, uh, I, I, uh, I do uh, famous Alex, condition. <laughs> is it a famous Alex term you had. Ba- boundary check. Boundary check. Yeah. Right. So, so, you, so when it's, so this is actually, a, I mean, it's, it's a little nerdy, but, uh, so, a little. <laughs> so most engineering systems, they have a boundary, like an envelope of operation, like an airplane. Like it can, let's say the nose can go up to a certain angle and go. down to a certain angle. Okay, Is it right? too nerdy? I no, no, no. I love it. Keep going. I right. just love it. No, keep going. So, so it ends up actually that a lot of times the optimal solution to the problem is actually at the boundary. Like it is like pushing something to its limit without breaking it, basically. It. Sure. So that's why it's like I a stress always, test in, in, in yeah, engineering. Yeah, stress test you can call it. Stress, stress test means go up or down until you break it. Right. Boundary check. It's is an optimization. Like, exactly. Go up or down until you find. Okay, so should I go this way or that way? Basically, it's simple. Like, should I go up? Should I go down? What? Okay. Let, this is. I think this is. This, if you just did this, if you took this one thing from this podcast, you're so far. So let's dig into this one thing. Okay. And then I want to talk about one of the companies you have, which I personally love you. Right. I give a meat company, which I love, by the way. I, you know, I did a whole thing. We cooked yeah. up those steaks. were yeah. amazing, right? Yep. So as you guys are going to watch this stuff. I'll, I'll put a link up. You got to check this. They have this great grass-fed meat. It's all story. But, and I actually, I'm actually getting I, I Alex brought me treats. I got to, as I'm talking, I'm going to eat a little bit here. Okay. Anyway, I got to take at least one bite. No. This is what is farmers. What is it? The- farmers box. Yeah, we sell it on farmers box. Mm. So it's grass fed. Grass fed, no antibiotics, no hormones, no preservatives. It's. Uh-huh. Uh, I love this stuff. Already. It's fermented for preservation, and that's why it's a slightly like uh, it has that sour taste. It's good. It's fermentation. It's good for you. So instead of using preservatives, we ferment it, and there's literally no chemicals in it. It's pure. Protein stack. I don't want to get off topic when I'm just hungry. Mm-hmm. So, what? I'm chewing in your ear. I'm supposed to mind. This guy's <laughs> out of his mind. Right? People are tuning out. Wait, hold on. Question. <laughs> what other products? So I know I had them. I had the um the steaks were amazing. Right. But also I think the hamburger patties are yes. real. What else do you sell? Did you like the hamburger patties? Mm, yeah. That's our most popular thing. It's our great. Ground beef is great. So we have right now, this is actually the one that I think is going to be the biggest business. And the reason is simple. It's easy to ship. So, uh, yeah. So, I know you're struggling with the price because, you know, you, it's like yeah. the weight issue, right? Yeah. Dry ice. In an, in, so it's harder to actually ship uh, uncooked beef products to Can you put up, um, put up a, a picture of the, uh, the whole thing? What's it called? Farmers? Farmersbox.com. While we're talking, yeah. So, so. I remember we had this funny, we had this really great night. We cooked up all the stuff there. It was amazing. Here's my problem with like, so I love meat, but the shit that they put in meat right now, right. like, you know, I'm scared of people. I, I'm thinking girls. I mean, I have fat ankles. I, I'm, I'm getting nervous. But my wife has this theory that the reason there's so many overweight people is all the hormones all and, the and, and, and type, right in, yeah. in meat, right? So with this meat, it's like, what is it, like the purest? What, what, tell me the story. Uh, so basically, we use Joel Salatin. He's one of the most far, uh, uh, most famous agricultural. This is good, system. by the way. Yeah, it is. It's it, got it's it's it's, spicy, too. It's, it's great. pure, and, and it has a spice. Mm. The taste comes from garlic powder and, um, and celery juice. So just simple stuff. So Joel is uh, basically the father of uh, sustainable agriculture. And uh, he used his system 
to grow beef in a sustainable way, sustainable for the land, for the environment, and also, uh, you know, it's no hormones, no antibiotics. The cows are not, it's not factory farm, they're free on the land and they're grazing. So he calls it rotational grazing. It's actually good for the land. And happy cow is a tasty happy cow. Happy cow, and it's, it tastes great. I mean, it's served, uh, uh, the beef is served in the White House. So, I mean, that's what that's we're talking you and about. Ty, that's Ty right there, right? Yep. Ty yeah. looking very like, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> cowboys there. <laughs> this is beef and chicken combo. Yeah. Ty loves this stuff. He like he, he loves the, it. He loves, he loves the whole it. ranching yeah. side of the equation, yeah. right? You wouldn't think so, yeah. but that's Karan Butler, NBA champion. He has actually has tried our beef. He loves it. No, it's, it's it's great. I really I really yeah. enjoyed it. And um, convenient comes to you, right? Yeah. So you in the process of I know what happens. I think you launched it. You did so well. Yeah. You ran out of meat, right? Yeah. But I tell you this. I think end of the day, the one that I'm gonna scale is this product. We will see. It's great. Yeah, because it is. You gotta leave delicious. me some more. So I'm really. Yeah, I'll, I'll send. I'll ship you a box. I want but... like tonight. I want like now. I want some <laughs> stuff right, right now. I'll so it really I, is good. I, I might, go. I, I might I'll just go eat. I might fucking you. take yours, yeah, by the way, go, buddy. You know. <laughs> so uh, it is basically say right there. So it's and the, those prices I'm testing right now. So. <laughs> Maybe you should wait because there'll be no. There'll be five times as much. All I have. So why don't you go and give us using this as an example, right? Okay. Um. Explain how any business owner, entrepreneur could, how do you do a boundary check on your pricing? What's the strategy for doing that? Yeah. Uh, can I use a board? or? Of course. A, yeah, yeah, let's do, absolutely. So let me get a board for you. Hold on. This would be awesome. It's simple principle of pricing. This is like level one pricing 101. Think of it. So right. think of this as price x-axis. All right. This is zero dollars. This is like a trillion dollars. Right. right. And think of this access as revenue. So if you price something at zero, you make exactly zero dollar revenue. Right. right? Mm -hmm. If you hugely overprice it, like you want to sell beef sticks for like a trillion dollars, nobody buys it. Right. So again, you're at zero. So basically your revenue goes up and then asymptotically goes to zero again. Mm -hmm. All right. So Got this it. is your revenue curve. So where you really want to be is here. Price optimal, let's say. Right? right in the middle of the bell curve. The top yeah, middle right of it. Right. So wherever it is, it's revenue maximizing price. Sure. I sometimes like to go a little bit to the left because this means you make more almost the same also. but more people. Exactly. Yeah. So you kind of want to say, okay, I am willing to make 10% less sure. money but get more people in the mm -hmm. door. So, but this is like, this is the zone you want to be, let's say, right? So the way actually to test this is pretty simple. You say, okay, so what is this price point? You can test, let's say something that has no cost. This is a little bit more complicated because there's cost of beef. But if you're selling a course, you say, okay, I'm going to price my course at $497. All right. Mm -hmm. How much revenue do I make? Okay. I'm going to price it now at $197. How much revenue do I make? Is it higher or lower? If it is higher, what does that mean? You have to go lower again yep. from that, right? Yep. So you go and price it at $97 or $99. And you're like, okay, I make even more. So what's the next step? You go, okay, so I'm going to price it at $69. And this time, you actually end up making less money than $99. Yes. So you actually found, now you can fine tune it by mm -hmm. trying around it. But basically what you're doing is that you're kind of your think of it as it, this this is called hill climbing so imagine you're a blind person and you're 
trying to go to the top of a hill. You don't know which direction you should go, so you're, you're blind. So you say, okay, so I'm going to step this way. Am I, did I go up or down, right? You try to go up the hill, like you're trying to climb up. <laughs> so then you get to the top. You don't know you're at the top. You just say, okay, so I take one more step. Oh, I'm going down now. That means you have achieved the top yep. of the hill. Got so it. it's kind of like a blind person walking up, and then they just keep they keep going up, you know, like they keep going in that direction. You might be going from this direction, but whatever. Either direction you're going, you just go, <laughs> increase the price until it has the adverse effect. And sure. then you know you're at the peak, basically. And let me ask you a couple of questions. But this is going to be all whiteboard. This has to be all whiteboard. Welcome <laughs> back. I, I stopped doing whiteboard Wednesday. You know why? Why? Because I couldn't lift my arm. My shoulder, I got, my shoulder got so bad that in the end of the day, I could not lift my arm. I had to stop it. Then I, you know, got my <laughs> Is it shoulder. better now? Oh my God, it's fully yeah. healed. I'm, yeah. I'm back to full strength. Yeah. So we start, I was supposed to start up. I was going to do it today, but I'm going to make this our introduction with Dr. Alex Mayer reintroducing Whiteboard Wednesday. Because I want to start bringing guests on for Whiteboard Wednesday as well. All right. So let's dig into this now. So right. you have, okay, a couple questions. Number one. How much data do you need at each level for it to be statistically significant? So it's a very complex question, but I have a simple answer for you guys. I use the number 52. Two it's more just, than Facebook's 50, 50 you say. It's actually, Facebook's is 50. <laughs> and I, it, I have, I, the, under certain parameters, it, there are a lot of assumptions that goes into coming to this number. An, an actual true statistician okay. will strangle me. Like your mom? Like my mom. But, okay. But, People just, I mean, simple people. I'm like, just go with 52. How much of the extra two is your own crazy superstition? Because I know you're like, yeah, you like, tell me stuff. You're like, almost. it's oh, it's 51 and a half. Yeah. Like, so this is this <laughs> two is my superstition. Okay, got so, it. All right. So I like, I like things actually. It, it, there's actually science behind it. So it's, <laughs> it's scientifically superstitious. Let's hear it. Yeah. So it's easier if I say 50. You may not remember. You're like, oh, is it 500, 100? <laughs> but if I say 52, you think about yourself, why 52? 52 then, weeks in a year. Yeah, it's just a like, you just, um, you're like, okay, so it's an odd number. And then you remember. So I kind of odd numbers I like better. Okay, so, fifth, so in other words, the, the point here is that when you're doing a, a, a boundary check on your pricing, what you don't want to do is say, oh my God, I have 10 sales. I made my decision because you exactly. have a false positive or exactly. a false negative, right? That's the worst. Because right. you might actually walk away from a winner. Okay. And that is the worst. Now, how about the, here's the other question. How do you balance that out with lifetime value? Because you might yeah. get that, let's say, by getting, um, you're getting more people in, but is there any relation when they start at a lower price, how high they'll ascend? Is there an optimum, like, so where you have breaks in price points? Yeah, which is, I, so, yes, you can actually do this. If you want to really do it, you have to do it based on not the money that you make based on the first product, but the overall Lifetime revenue. value, or yeah. for over three months yeah, or something. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. That is the, but it's it makes it too complicated. Like, it's, I like simple tests. So what I do is I just look at the core, and then I walk to the left of the price optimal. So I a lot of times, like if it is 99, I go to 89. Right. So I kind of go to the left because so I get some quantity be benefit already. And I don't go all the way down because your core has to make money. Sure. So let me ask you another question. So let's say your 99 is your optimal, right? Right. And you're getting 100 people at 99, right? right? And the equivalent would be one half that getting 200 people at at. Forty nine ninety five, right? right? So it's the same amount, right? right? But the issue is, is that 
on the lower price. Let's say you've got 75 people at the lower price, but the lifetime value, because yeah. you're selling them more products, right. how do you so, factor so that in? Here's, in here's actually You know what I'm getting at, guys? In other words, what you want to do is sometimes having more people in your funnel, as you said originally. Exactly, which is why I go to the left. Right. So here's the best way to think about it. If, if the optimal price is $100, and you get 100 customers at that price, at $50, you will not get 200 customers. You will get maybe 150 customers. Mm. So if, if you got 200 cus uh, customers, then it would have been equal, meaning you had a flat top, which barely ever happens. It's like- There's always a tipping point, Yeah, there's right? always like the curve is never flat. So it's like, if the optimal is this, at 50, you're getting 150, meaning you start, you make less money on your core to begin with. Now, second, uh, second, second thing comes in. The 50 that bought the product, this is actually very important and a little bit in details, but I think I'm gonna share anyways, I mean, for people that are following. So the 100 people that would have bought at 100, they also buy at $50, you agree, right? Mm -hmm. So those, out of this 150, 100 are the same people. Now, you have 50 extra people. These 50 people did not buy at 100, but right. bought at 50. Right. What kind of people are they? They mm -hmm. are very price sensitive. Mm -hmm. What are the odds of them buying other mm -hmm. products from you? Right. Lower value. So mm -hmm. the extra 50 that you get here is actually lower lifetime value customers. So basically what happens is that yes, you get- I understand. So in yeah. other words, if, if you go too low on the- Too uh, low. The people that buy there are not really the best upsell exactly. candidates. Exactly. Not only, not only you make less money on core by a lot, yeah, but the biggest you, complainers, the people they're are, complainers, people that are not buying a lot, like they're lower lifetime value customers. So you your gain on quantity is not proportional. Okay, last question here. Okay, because we're running out of time. I gotta have you back because you're awesome. Uh, question, all right. Free trial versus money back guarantee. I know you're a big fan of the free trial. Yes. Tell me about like your your your, your opinion on terms of how much more traction you get with a free trial yeah. is there a, a is there a sweet spot between you do a three-day free trial a seven-day a 14-day yeah what do you think on that i think i actually tested this again it, this, this is one of those things that is probably uh product dependent Sensitive. yeah but kind of what i've seen is with free trial you double your 2x your conversion all right but you lose 30 percent yeah uh, lost. So basically, you end up being head to head a winner. Free nah. trial wins, not by a lot, not by a factor of two, mm. but you I know, get forty percent. Yeah, saying. yeah, exactly. But here's the other thing about it: um, free trial gives you a huge. So not only economically it's better, it gives you double the amount of number of people that now you have on your email list. Right. So that's another benefit. Of Even it. if they don't take it, you still have them on the email list. Like exactly. Some people will just, yeah, they're free trial junkies, but you can eventually sell them something. Yeah, exactly. And and in general, it's better to have a lot of people on your email list. It's just it. like, if it's for free. And he, in this case, yeah. it is yeah. at economic gain, right? Got it. So, and then the other piece that you mentioned is like the length of it. I think after seven days, it plateaus. So I, I normally use three days because I like to see the return quick and that's just purely for cash flow reasons. I saw no difference between seven and three days. They're identical yeah, they're very, they, if you very actually small. look at like on a microscope, you see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah very yeah. small. But after seven to 14 or seven yeah. to 30, there's really no difference. And you, the cash flow between right. seven and 30 is huge cash flow difference. Awesome. So, All right, yeah. guys, there we go. I got I'm, 
Listen, this is an unbelievable <laughs> podcast that turned into a training with Dr. Alex. Man, buddy, we have to have you back. All, All right. You're the best. I'll be happy. Um, to. Dude, take this. All I can tell you is this. Take it as gospel. What this, this what the guy says, some people are full of shit. This is the opposite of that, all right? This is stuff that's all proven. He uses it in his own businesses. I've seen it work myself, okay? And he's also a hell of a nice guy, all right? So, guys, another awesome podcast. Share this one with your friends. Subscribe. Do everything you got to do to be in touch with the Wolf Stand, all right? Love you all. Take care.